All right, we got here Jeremy Delk, founder of Delk Enterprises, serial entrepreneur. I mean, I was reading your bio and I was like, dude, this this guy is a beast. I mean, like we have some really high caliber dudes, but then I, I started reading it to Jeremy. I texted Landon earlier. I was like, dude, we got a big hitter coming on the podcast today. So I'm, I'm excited. Thanks so much for coming on. No, thanks for having me, guys. Excited about it. Absolutely, man. So let's just dive into it. We want to extract as much value as possible here. So tell us a little bit more about your early life. I know I, Landon and I know a little bit about it just reading your bio, but Tell us more about where you've been and kind of where you're at today. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm a small town kid from a, a town called Bargetown, Kentucky. So it's the bourbon capital of the world. So Maker's Mark, Jim Beam, any of those you've ever heard of, but probably 20 something thousand people. And growing up, I always had this kind of big fish, small pond mentality and feeling. And I always wanted to kind of had this drive to go do more, see more and, and be more. And through a quite a twisted path and windy road, Ended up on Wall Street. I was the youngest trader in Fidelity Investments history, trading institutional equities in Boston and New York. And then, you know, went out on my own, you know, probably 2001, started Delk Enterprises, left Fidelity in, in 2002. And yeah, I've been doing it ever, ever, ever since. Quite the windy path, right? I mean, I started day trading when I was 17, 18 years old, made a couple million bucks in two years, which was a lot of fun. I lost it all in four days, which was less fun. <laughs> It taught me some good lessons. And, you know, I think through that journey, I actually just came out with a book late last year called Without a Plan. And it's really kind of, it's memoir-esque, but it's got that business component to it. And and it really just talks about my journey <clears throat> from a fact standpoint. There's no theory or like, hey, use a six-point plan. It's literally called Without a Plan. And it's really how I live my life of just kind of setting this direction out on the horizon of where I want to go. Um not having any clue how I was going to get there, but just kind of that forward motion. And I think I do a lot of speaking and podcast and consulting. And that to me for entrepreneurs, no matter where you are in the stage, but especially the early stage ones, but it still happens late, especially early stage. It's really that, you know, Peter Till wrote a book zero to one. It's that first step that people really belabor over and kind of go through. And that's where just so many great ideas that are probably out there never see the light because people are just that, you know, scared to take that first step. So I try to share my story, which was in, in the green room, we're talking about, you know, this, you know, some of my accomplishments, you know, that's kind of like your CV. What I wanted to show is all the fucking shit that actually happened, right. To kind of yeah. get there. Cause you know, I'm, I'm an overnight success, 22 years in the making, you know? So I wanted to show that, that side of it because that's the re that's the reality, right? That's the truth of, of entrepreneurship. It's a cold, lonely, hard place sometimes, but that's what makes the, the victories and the, and the highs so much sweeter. Well said, well said. So, I mean, there are so many things that we can unpack here. I, I, I would argue that in today's age, given the fact that we have almost too much information, it's even harder to take that first step because of the fact that I think risk taking risk is now starting to get popular, but also like trying to figure out what to do and having this abundance of information makes it a little bit harder on that side. But I wanted to go back a little bit and talk about this experience when you made millions of dollars day trading in two years and then lost it all in four days. We can't just let you slide by just giving that as a headline. We, we need to hear the ins and outs. And now that I don't know how many years have surpassed since then, but I want to know from your experience now what you've learned and what you took away from there, but also if you could do it all over again, how you would have changed mm -hmm. that situation. So I'll answer the last part first. I wouldn't change a thing. If I would have known 
and someone told me I was going to lose it all, knowing what I know now, I would have, I would have still blown it up. I wouldn't have changed anything, which sounds kind of weird, but you know, that lesson that I learned and it took me some years to really appreciate it. Cause in the moment you're like, fuck, I'm a complete loser. I hate myself. I suck, you know, and you go through that defeatist victim attitude until you realize it's not fucking productive. It doesn't fix your problem. Like that still happened. Right. So you can either feel bad about yourself and go home to your mom and cry, or you, you can, you know, get out there and, and, and change it. So for me, so my dad passed away when I was seven. So I had inherited this, you know, $30,000 or something from him that, you know, my, my mom had put like a mutual fund in some Disney stock. So I talked about that kind of drive to kind of want to go do more, see more. I knew I was going to inherit that. I equated that with like, okay, that's going to be a responsibility. Cause I grew, I grew up, you know, middle-class at best, maybe upper middle, but I, I would say middle is probably the safe bet. My mom and my stepdad worked for the post office. We were comfortable, but they weren't going to be able to kind of give me any financial advice. So like, Hey, I started reading, you know, the wall street journal investment, investment business daily. And really this is early days of the internet. So I was like reading like raging bull, which I don't know if it's still around, but it was like basically like the Reddit today of, you know, stock forums. And I was completely self-taught, which is dangerous, but that's what I, that's how I would get to New York. That was how I was going to get there. Right. And I just started, you know, learning and trading and I ended up dialing in on, on two stocks, Qualcomm and JDS Uniphase. This is in the late nineties. So we're riding this, this tech wave in this dot-com era. And I just, you know, started, you know, getting good at it and kind of getting a feel. And I studied it and I put a lot of work into it, but I was also a 19 year old kid full of testosterone in college, good looking kid. And like, it was, thank God I blew up the money because I, I would probably, <laughs> I would have fucking, cause you couldn't teach me anything, right? I'm going right. to school, you know, trading on a Palm pilot. You, you two are too young for what you know what that fucking is. It's like, I was going to ask you like, yeah, I was yeah. going to ask you what's trade, what was trading like back in the nineties? Cause it's it, it not like just, pulling up it, your phone and yeah, being it, on TV Ameritrade, but, right? But I, I was on Ameritrade. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I, I was on Ameritrade. They did a partnership with Palm or was it three? It wasn't 3M. Who, who owned Palm? Anyway, I digress. But yeah, they had a deal. So it was an app on Ameritrade and I, I trade online as well. But yeah, and that was back in the day when they they still sent you physical uh, trade confirmation. So my mailbox was just like stacked up like this of, you know, just tons of trade confirms. Wow. And yeah, it was cool, but I got good at it, but I was so cocky because I'm, I'm sitting there day trading on my Palm Pilot in school and like, you know, I've just made 30 grand and that's probably what the, the professor made, right? For the year, I made it in a day. So who the fuck's this guy ever going to teach me something? So I was convinced at 19, I've made it, right? There's, I, I'm, this is what I'll do the rest of my life. And the lesson I learned, obviously you heard the, the punchlines, I, I lost it all because I just kept levering up and levering up. I learned about margin, which is cool if you use it properly and responsibly, which I wasn't. But I learned a couple lessons there. It's really humility. And the moment that you think you've got it all figured out and you, you stop learning or don't have the willingness to learn, you, you've got a punch coming. Like someone that's already reared back, just brace for it because you're about to get knocked out. And I only forgot that one more time in life about kind of when everything's going well, but that level of, of, of caution and understanding like, okay, well, let me question this. What am I not seeing was a great lesson. Lesson one, the bigger piece of the lesson and why I am, I think that's probably 30% of why I am who I am. I think losing my dad was a lot of it as well, but me being able to go out and get odd job after, cause I bought a condo, right? My freshman year, my freshman summer, I bought a condo. 
um, which every kid does that, right? In college, bought a condo, <laughs> new car. So I, I still had expenses, right? And I, my mom, as much as she loves me, she'd give me the shirt off her back, but she couldn't help me. So I could have either, my story could have been, hey, young kid, small town, makes a couple million bucks, goes bus and moves back home. And it wouldn't have been a bad story. I just didn't want it to be mine. So I went out and got odd job after odd job and odd job and ended up, you know, of between UPS, Abercrombie and Fitch, landscaping, which I lasted a week, wasn't good at that. I was renting, uh, I was renting apartments um, at the condo development right beside me. And I got a commission every time I would rent and sign a new lease, 500 bucks. So I was always networking with, you know, people at pool parties that, Hey, you like it here, Landon, you cool. You know, do you know, Antonio, where's Antonio living? Like you want to have, that's how I would get like legion basically. And I struck up a conversation with a guy said he was, he would work for Fidelity Investments. And I'm like, Oh, well, I know a little bit about the stock market. And I just started dropping knowledge about Qualcomm and JDS Unifix because I knew those stocks like better than analysts, what were they? Right? What were they called? Qualcomm. So Qualcomm, it's still around. It's, yep. it's the chip in your phone, right? Qualcomm yep. Stadium and JDS Uniphase. So I knew them as well as a fucking analyst did. He's like, dude, how the fuck do you know all of this? <laughs> I'm like, and I told him the story and he's like, it's pretty impressive and fucking pretty stupid as well. You blow up 4 million bucks or 2 million bucks. But he said, if I gave you an opportunity, you know, and you know, would you, would you take a job on wall street? I'm like, dude, it'd be my dream, but I haven't finished college yet. I'm a small town kid from Nowheresville, Kentucky. Yeah. Three months later, background checks. I'll do all the stuff that takes. And I got the gig. So that was, you know, building up and I was, there was only a six month, probably, yeah, but a six month swing from losing it all to having a job, you know, high paying job at the time. And then it went on to make a lot of money in wall street. It was, you know, it was surreal in the fact that now it looks back and it's kind of the title of the book. You know, most things in my life, it's been this way is you don't know, you know, I don't, I'm not a, someone that says like, it happens, you know, to you. I, I think it really does happen for you. And if I didn't blow that up, I wouldn't have been in that situation to meet, meet that person and, and through a windy road, get me on wall street. Right. And then fast forward there two and a half years later, I'm making more money than both of my parents. And how um, old are you at this point? 22. And making more money than them, living it up, living in Chelsea in Manhattan, like just, you know, doing all the things that you'd want to do at 22 with, I was living really, really well. And I, I realized very early that, you know, entrepreneurship, I, I believe is something you're born with. I think you can learn skills and tactics, but I do think it's in anything you, you're talking to you guys about like the athlete component and like you're, you're driven that certain way. If you're a D1 athlete, this isn't a fucking hobby, right? Like you're in it, right? And I think entrepreneurship is in it. It's like, oh, that's cool. Like whatever you, that's, there's something that's ingrained in you and your work ethic, your mindset that you do the things that you don't want to do. That's what separates it. This isn't cool, right? Entrepreneurship as much as it's glamorized now. And I learned that I was an entrepreneur because I, I, I love creativity. I loved learning and I would find myself you know, coming up with these ideas that, Hey, what about this program? What about this strategy? You know, whatever. And I was basically, you know, poo pooed. Yeah. And I thought, cause I was a younger kid and I actually changed the way I speak, right? I don't sound like I'm from Kentucky anymore. I thought maybe they think I'm a fucking hick and that's why they're not listening to my idea. Cause my ideas were sound. And what I realized that, you know, people that you were know, 20, 30 years, my senior, you know, at that world in corporate America and not just America, corporate life in general, you know, 
it's kind of like a stay down, don't, you know, just fit in, conform type of mentality. And that I think is where entrepreneurs go to die. And you get told no so many times that you stop being creative. Like, hey, let me just go and fit in this box because that's the safe place. And if I didn't lose that money and pick myself back up that quickly, I'd probably be some fucking schmuck. Again, making million million a year at Wall Street. So it's not like I'd be a bad life. I wouldn't be fucking happy though. But it was because I blew up 2 million bucks, fucking lost it all and pulled myself up. That fact that I was able to survive, that's what gave me where so many people struggle and won't leave that cush job because they're scared of the certainty. Like what the fuck's going to happen to me? Fuck it. It can't be worse than a couple of years ago. So let's fucking go. So I, 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 I resigned. As soon as I resigned, all my ideas were good. They can't all this stuff. Like, no, but I made the decision. I'm out. Sorry. And you know, I, at Fidelity, I, you, 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 I, you I resigned Fidelity. Yeah. After I two resigned. Years. Yep. My rent on my Chelsea apartment was six grand or so a month, 5,500 bucks. This is back in um, the late nineties, early two thousands, early two thousands. Wow. And, yeah. um, I made like 6,800 bucks my first year at Duck Enterprises. So I've obviously bled through some savings, but I made money and haven't looked back since. So those are some lessons. And I talk about that a lot, a lot in the book is that, you know, most times we as the individuals are the impediments. It's not external. It's all internal in your fucking head of what you can or can't do. I've been locked in this whole time, man. And I, the one question that I, that stayed in my brain, cause there's a lot of younger, hungry, you know, guys and gals listening to this podcast right now that may have just had their first big loss, or they may just be at this point of, you know, where they just need to be the most certain person in the room at times. Right. And in that business that you're in, right. When you, when you first got to fidelity, I imagine, you know, you're the young gun in the room. What was your mindset? You know, how do you get back on the horse after a big loss? after your first big loss, like how'd you get back on the horse with and have conviction and believe in yourself to go out on your own and, and, and ultimately, you know, drive value in the marketplace and, and scale your own business. Yeah. Especially when like you make $2 million in such a short amount of time. And then you know that the road is not immediately making that $2 million back in that immediate time frame. Like how were you able to like get back to winning small, if that makes sense? Yeah. So I think, so what gave me the confidence to leave fidelity is the question. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, looking back, I already did it, right? There was always, I was licensed trader. I had a clean record. I had good track record. So I, I got a job on wall street without anything with <laughs> some fucking, you know, idiot kid from Kentucky who talked a good game. Now I had license. I, I had references. I, I, I did well. I, I moved up with the ranks from, from Boston to, to New York. So if I failed again after a year or two, I could just go back to Wall Street, right? I mean, I had no kids. I was a young, I mean, I, I didn't have those pieces. And that, that was a blessing that I learned these lessons early on because learning that lesson and taking that chance at 35 with, you know, you know, 2.2 kids and a wife, fuck, man, I don't know that you do it. I, I, I don't know, right? But for me, it was like, all right, well, what's the worst that could happen? I could, I could burn through my, my kind of, you know, cash that I've got saved up in 18 months, you know, not change my lifestyle dramatically, you know, it's, it's, it's worth the shot. And the burning up that cash is definitely to, I looked at it as at least I would know because the unknown of like what it could have been, fuck, that's what's that cost. I think that's the real, I think that that's the real risk people run in their lives is the, the thought of like, what if I didn't take the risk? 
Sure, and that that sure. that regret that you live the you know, when when you're on your deathbed. What was the initial business plan of Delco Enterprises? Like, what was your initial vision when you started it? Yeah, great question. So I started in real estate development. So I I hadn't stepped out of Fidelity yet, but I was making enough money that I wanted to start making that money work for me. Right? I, I saw that at an early age. Like, hey, this is earned income. How do I get some fucking body to make money for me and kind of throw it out there? So I, I was making good money, great money, Kentucky level. New York, I was enough to go buy bottles and hook up with some chicks and like live a good life, right? But I wasn't able to play in the real estate game in New York. But back home in Kentucky, I could. So I started building single family, multifamily, like four, two, three plexes, four plexes, doing some, some stuff like that. And I was just specking houses and selling them and keeping condos or uh, townhouses to, as rentals. And a buddy of mine, who we were in business for a long time and we were in each other's weddings and still friends to this day. His, he was also on Wall Street. He had left about a year before I did. Different firm. He was with Morgan Stanley and his family was in the building material like lumber business for 80 years in Brooklyn. And he was going to go into the window and door business. So it first like, Hey, you know, let me learn about this. I need windows and doors for, right? I just looked at that like, hey, I'll partner with you, do something and I'll help, you know, you know, arbitrage a little bit for my real estate down in Kentucky. And then I learned that business. And that's kind of what, what gave me the thing to do because real estate was completely passive, but I learned the window and door business. And that was kind of my first, my first step outside of it. And then we grew that business from a retail window shop in Long Island to, a national distributor of a Canadian product to an OEM manufacturer in Germany and Italy, um, doing houses for like Carl Icahn, a corporate raider, Calvin Klein's house in the Hamptons. And for me, we made a lot of money. It was a lot of fucking fun. I tell a bunch of stories in the book, but it was the ultimate idea because at Wall Street with, with, you know, trading, you don't have any byproduct, but transactions, fees and dollars. I was able to, again, as another cocky kid, I've just got that. I can't get that piece out of me, but like, Hey, I can see a set of plans that they probably paid, you know, hundred grand for and these multi-million dollar houses or a Ritz Carlton project that we worked on. And you see it at that level. And then you go to a job site and you, now that is the ultimate creation. You've seen something. And and, and that to me just fueled so much, so many juices. And, you know, if you look at Delk Enterprises right now, um, you know, from real estate development where it started in building materials, we did a lot in healthcare and health tech, um, digital marketing, direct to consumer, consumer goods. And we're actually going back and we still have those, those assets, but we're now doing a ton of real estate stuff too. Cause I think the market's, you know, primed for, for some opportunity in the current environment. So it's fun to see that kind of go full circle. Yeah. That's incredible, Ben. I, I was doing some, some reading on you. A day, a day or two ago. And you, there was a project where you had this no deposit cash free casino. Where did that fit into the picture? So I don't, I don't, you mentioned that in the pre room. What was the, I don't know, I don't know that one. I, I might have gotten my, my notes mixed up, I guess, but that, that was on the, the media kit that we were sent as well was this, this casino model. Maybe it's yes. a different. Yeah. Cause I, I know you mentioned the government. So I haven't done anything in that. In that space. Okay. Um, so sorry, I, I apologize yeah, for no that. Worries. I was that 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 was on my notes. So cool. All right, let, let's shift now. So let's talk about the transition in as a younger kid making moves and like you've been around 
big dollars for a long time at this point, right? Like $2 million trading, going to Fidelity, making a ton of money, and then starting this, this window and door company in real estate. So you're around a lot of money, but you make this transition from financial services and trading where it's just more, mostly numbers to now managing people and, and scaling. Like, how did you have to shift in your leadership and how did you have to change yourself to be the best entrepreneur over time to make sure that this was sustainable? I mean, that's a lot of, um, I, I mean, there's books and there's things out there, but I, it's, it's a lot of fucking it up. Right. I mean, the, so the, the title of the book is without a plan, but the subtitle is a memoir of unbound action and failing my way to success. I talk all about the failures. You don't learn shit from successes, man. You don't like, Oh, I'm fucking awesome. You're not that awesome, but that's how you feel, right? What you learn from is when you get your ass completely just handed to you. And then you've got to, you know, really kind of, you know, triage and do a, you know, an autopsy and like, well, what happened there? So through a lot of, a lot of mistakes and I, I can, but those mistakes I had, everyone has, right? You know, so many, you hear this probably from, you know, people that you, you guys speak to or if you guys do any consulting, but I see all the time, like, oh, well, you know what? I can teach you how to do this, Antonio, but you know what? It's just easier if I do it, right? Every, I mean, every, every entrepreneur says that, yeah, I can't bring someone on. It's, just, it's way hard. Like you need to be useless. Like your job as a founder CEO is to render yourself where they tell you to fucking leave. Right. Cause all you're going to do is mess up things that that's where you want to be as you want to be completely replaceable. And some people are like, Oh, it's my baby. But and if you really want to kind of grow and have scale, you need to move yourself out, be the visionary person, go through. But you know, I think that's, that's easier said than done, but that was a, a mistake that I think I made and everyone makes the easiest way to kind of start that and get comfortable is to pick the things that you just don't like. Like you hate, I love finance, but let's say you hate finance or you hate creative. Like, well, cool. Like if you hate that piece and just find someone that loves it and then go through, that's a, a good way to start that piece. And I think also it's, you know, just taking, not taking yourself so seriously. Right. I mean, uh, I know you mentioned media kids sometimes like when they do like, you know, intros to me, like it's this long CV Inc 500 companies and fastest growing, all that stuff. Like that's all bullshit. I mean, it's not bullshit. It's all you know, true. And I was, you know, 24th fastest growing country in, uh, in the U S like we, we did a lot of those cool things, but you can't take yourself too seriously. And, and if, cause if you do, then you become unapproachable. And that is, especially when you build businesses where you've got, you know, 50 to a hundred employees, those aren't, those are more than a team. You've got people that work for you that I've, I've worked for me that I, I don't know their name, right? And not because I don't want to, but it's just because like someone else has hired them in HR or whatever. But I've created mechanisms where that person can get to me, right? And feel like they can come and talk to me because that person who could be a line employee in a warehouse could tell you that the fucking assistant manager is fucking stealing product or whatever, like that, if you insulate yourself too much, that's when you kind of get take. So you need to be this complete open book. And I can, I, I talk about strategies I've used to actually do that, that have been absolutely you know game changing for me. And besides what it gives you, it gives them, you know, such a feeling of, you know, true team that like, I actually care about what you say. I may not agree, but I hear you feeling heard you want to fucking build an army of people that are like just raving, got your back. Let's fucking heave ho. Let's go make them feel heard. That's employee retention, right? That just that level of communication and opening, opening up that and, and truly valuing it, not dismissing it. Cause I've heard phenomenal ideas and a different perspective on it than 
the three consultants that you've hired from these big firms to tell you the fucking same bullshit that they're just digressing from, you know, an analyst report. Yeah. Uh, something to kind of go off of some of that is how has your team, a uh, question I want to ask you is how has your team evolved over the years? Where are you currently and where's, what's the vision for all that? And yeah, you know, by the way, I, I did check it. You might have like an error in your bio or something. Cause we looked it up and uh, there is a, like a hyperlink in your bio. And it says after, after college, basically he, he created no deposit free cash bonus casino for everyone to earn more money. Also, he provide a lot of bonuses there for newcomers. It's like almost like a advertising plug. And yeah, what's the, is, what's the domain? It is. That's on jeremydelk.com in your bio. Yeah. Slottogate.com is the hyperlink. And we can, we can edit, we'll edit this out, obviously, but yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yes. Send it through because it sounds like it's like a hack or something. Yeah. I just sent you the link in our chat here so you can check that out. And it's in a a blue hyperlink on your, on your bio and you're in the middle of your bio. (laughs) Oh, I see this. Isn't that crazy? I was like, I, I, I'm not going crazy. I could have sworn I did read this. <laughs> no, it's actually funny as shit. Cause like, it's like this awesome story. And then out of nowhere, they like try to plug this little sly, like, Oh, and by the way, he offered this frequency. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious, bro. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, funny. I'm on it now. Okay. Sweet. Tony, Thank make you. sure you mark this so we can have the editor edit yeah, this out. I got you. But go ahead. That's funny. So the, Oh, so where, where's my team now? So, you know, the, we, we're looking for, companies to buy right now. We're looking for companies to invest in. And you know, the name of Delk Enterprises, it's obviously Delk Enterprises, but it's undertone is strategic capital. And what does that mean? Right. Of course we have cash and, 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 and capital to be able to deploy, but every single pitch I've seen, every deal we've invested in, um, beyond dollars, right? Like what you guys are raising money for X, Y, and Z. What are you raising money for? Not to put in the fucking bank, right? You're, you're, you're raising money to hire a person, buy a software, buy a piece of, you know, there's a component that you need to go through and do it. So what I've been able to do with Delk Enterprises is build a team of really, you know, things that run my businesses now. And it's created this like shared services network. So I can take you from funding. I did one in four months, like idea napkin to brick and mortar location open in four months. I can do that so much quicker because I have the teams. I don't have to go and close a round of funding, then post jobs, hire recruiters to go do this, go through a process and, and, and analyzing, you know, what SaaS product we want to be able to use. I've, I've already made some of those mistakes. Who's going to run finance? How do I set them up? Like all those things. So that's what the team looks like now, right? So you need, you know, social media, you need, you know, digital marketing, whatever the thing is that you're, you're lacking and needing, we're able to kind of deploy and get that in, in addition to money quite, uh, quite quickly. For me, it, it allows me to usually negotiate because I don't like to beat people up on their valuations because nowadays after Shark Tank, right? Everyone's a fucking worth it. Just a joke, right? But like you can listen, you can beat someone up and tell them why it's not worth that. Or I'd kind of go through and like, all right, what's the use of proceeds? What, do you, what, what are you going to do with those? And what's the result? And then I basically say, okay, cool. 5 million at a, you know, $15 million pre. Okay. I can do it, right? I'll commit to the, the thing. And it may not always be the five minutes. It's gonna, you're gonna need some cash, right? Some working capital to do burn, whatever. And that's how I'll get a third of the company for getting them what they needed, but I can just do it more efficiently. So it saves me some cash, 
allows me to leverage my shared services. And for the entrepreneur, it gets them to where they want to go quicker anyway. Sure. So I, I listen to a lot of Rob Deerdeck and Rob is running like his own little family office slash venture fund that he's like, yeah, and he's incredible at it. He calls it the Deerdeck machine. And so I'd love to know like what it looks like. And I know you alluded to it just now, but like what the Delk machine looks like and what you're best at in terms of like, what is the main solution that you're providing from bridging the gap to where these entrepreneurs need to go outside of just capital? But like, what is the main problem that you're seeing with these entrepreneurs and their businesses? And what's your most effective solution outside of just the team and stuff like that? I'd love to know like what your operating system and philosophy around business is to get it to max enterprise value down the road. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think let's go before on whether I invest in a business or not, right? Because it, I have to be passionate about it and it, it's got to be like in our ethos, but I'm industry agnostic. So I don't necessarily, it doesn't have to be in, in, a, in a specific space. It has to be something that I, I believe in and I think I'd want to be a part of. So let's say that box is ticked. The next most crucial box is way more important than the idea, the opportunity, any of that. And it's really the founder and, and the founder or founders and the, and the team. And the biggest mistake I see like for the entrepreneurs that come to me, I'm sure they go to everywhere else as well asking for money is they have all the answers and they have it all figured out. Well, fucking, I don't have it all figured out, right? So I know you're either a fucking liar or just, you know, not astute enough to really understand, you know, what you don't know. Either way, I'm passing, right? What I found is someone that's either been through a cycle, blew it up, lost. There's opportunity there because they've, they've got some, you know, they've been through it a little bit and it's not all lollipops and gumdrops and gumdrops. The other bit is, you know, having the vulnerability to say, you know, I've got all this figured out, but this is what keeps me up at night. This is kind of the fear. So if I can get to that point with the entrepreneur, so we've got the idea, I can help. I like it. They can be vulnerable to me, vulnerable to me and tell me what it is that they either don't like or scared of or don't know how to do. If one of those things, right, whether it's finance or whatever that thing is, it, most likely I have an opportunity to, to be able to help and get them there and add value. That's when I will determine if I invest and we try to get to a term sheet and kind of, kind of try to close around there. Um, but it has to start with that piece because I could love the idea, but if it's, you know, if, if I can't help, I'm, you know, I'm a useless investor to you. I'm just going to be on your cap table and it's going to be a shitty relationship anywhere. So that is how I think VC investing should go anyway, as opposed to just taking a check because everyone wants to go and raise and get money. But the, t the moment you take that fucking check and you sign them, you're married to them. So make sure like as the entrepreneur, you really want that, that, that person's, uh, that person's cash. So all that being said, answer your question. I try and why I've been successful is just truly disrupting and trying to look at it from a different perspective. So it, I mean, I've been in a lot of industries now, so it's, it's hard to not, you know, be completely blind to how it's been done, but I always try to go at it from a completely different approach, applying things that have worked in businesses, but maybe not in that specific industry, because typically what they're going to come through is like, Hey, we want to go through and, and, you know, this is our, our, our business model. The business model looks pretty much like fucking every, most times it looks like every other business model. And that's what they're going through. Here's your assumptions. And it's all good. It's good data. It's backed up by data. And this is why we're able to do it. I try to take that approach and really just turn it on its head to be able to say, okay, how do we get that either three to four times bigger or three to four times quicker, right? Maybe it's, you've got a price point. What about a premium offer? What about having, you know, you know, 
another level ab- above it, going deeper in the wallet as opposed to wider? What, do, what does that look like? You know, what about acquisition targets as far as like going through and competing? Like no one thinks about that, but growing and scaling a business is, that's, that's, it's, it's a lot harder. You can buy businesses and, and, and look at your competitors and understand that people are scared about that, especially if you've never done it. That's like the last thing that they look when you could be like, dude, you have a better mousetrap. These guys have the fucking customers fucking buy those fuckers. Right. I mean, like, but right. you don't think of that as a small entrepreneur. You got to like, Oh, I've got to go beat them. And again, th- these are all the like, simple strategies that you go through, but looking at it effectively in a different lens is the superpower or like the, the, the kind of the sauce that we really kind of p- play onto it. And again, none of this is super hard. It's not like it's some crazy algorithmic approach to it. It's just trying to look where they're not looking. So not only do you have obviously the extensive experience and track record in business in general that helps you with this perspective, but the question I had was what kind of content are you absorbing nowadays? Like, you know, whether it's books, uh, certain people you like to follow and, and learn from, like what's, what type of content or people are you surrounding yourself with currently to keep, you know, the sword sharp? That's a good question. It's a really good question. So, you know, I do a little, I do a lot of podcasts. Listen. So like, like house podcast is, is great. You know, I do, you know, Amazon, you know, audible, some, some books. I love Gary V where I mean, I think, you know, just that, that, that approach. Bill Perkins, like, so I'm at a different point in my life as well. Like, I suppose like learning the business piece, I've, you know, once you can make a couple of dollars, you guys don't have kids yet, right? No, no. Yeah. I mean, so like once you, you, you have these cycles in life of like, what's kind of your thing. I've kind of got the cars and watches and all the bullshit. So now it's like the business piece for me is a lot more fun than like utilitarian, right? Like I'm, I'm not, unless I know about a check that you guys are sending uh, that I'm not aware of, I'm doing this for free. Right. And I do it because I want to add value. Cause maybe I think I've learned over the time, like, Hey, you can pick up these nuggets from, from someone else. So I think there's a bit of a pay it forward. And then selfishly, it allows me to meet new people, connect, and maybe there's new deal flow that I can come through and invest or buy a new company. So that's why I do it what I am now. But you know, a lot of it, I mentioned Perkins, he wrote this book called Die With Zero. Yes, sir. Yeah, where we love it. Yeah. Life-changing book. So I met him. So I've got a place down in the the BVI and I met him on Necker. Yeah, there you go. On Branson's Island. And he, yeah, he's super cool, dude, man. I mean, obviously like, and he's just, we're like oil, uh, yeah, oil and, and energy trader, but then like him and fucking Bulzari and just like fucking rock. Yeah. Fucking, <laughs> like, like, that's fucking hilarious. So you, his, him and Steve Aoki, but I talked to him and this is like future Pete for you guys. When you have kids, I had like this super complex trust set up for, for my kids. And, you know, the question I, I asked, Everyone that, you know, with kids really, it's like, how do you, cause they're all growing up way different than I grew up, right? Like with planes and all this other bullshit. I'm like, dude, I don't want to raise little assholes. Like, how do I really kind of fuck it, you know, not fuck this up? And I had this probably a hundred grand worth of trust in estate work where if you made a million bucks, I would match a million dollars and like all these things that were incentivizing. And I was, um, on a birthday trip or something. And I was like, FaceTiming this right when um, Die Was Heroed came out. I'd read it and I'm like, Bill, I want to just ask some things that weren't in the book. And I was like, how, how do you not fuck up your kids? This is what I did. I thought I was so smart. Like I've structured it this way and like whatever. And he's like, you're a fucking idiot. I'm like, sweet. Thanks, bro. That's awesome. Thank you. And and I'm like, why am I an idiot? And, you know, the, the piece that he really, I took away from it was, you know, 
he's got you know a, a daughter. He's got a couple, a few kids. One of his daughters he thinks will probably be like him, hard charging, and one one may not. So why would you set up an environment or a system that you know is going to potentially disenfranchise and, and unmotivate? Like he's like, what if your son or daughter wants to write poetry and and, and live in you know the East Village? And they're not going to make a fucking dollar doing that, but that's what's going to make them happy. Why would you try to take that away from them to go and jump through the fucking financial hoops, whatever, right? So that's the type of stuff I'm listening to and learning now and trying to understand like, hey, what's the, what's the, what's this game about? Why yeah. am I doing it? And you know, th- th- those pieces. So it also keeps the sword, the, the sword sharp because you still got to make money to do all these things, but you start to change your perspective on, on your why. And I think that, is a lesson that you could kind of take away and, and it's macro to everyone because everyone's why is different, right? And if you can really, because it's not for the, I try to buy my happiness, man. I, I, you know, I talk about the therapy, I've, you know, I talk about the book. I, I spent a bunch of money at therapy trying to work out like why the seventh car didn't make me happy. And, you know, once you can understand like what's your driving, you know, piece inside, that's the fire, man. That's that's how you can run through walls and fucking run through adversity and run through getting sued and bad shit fucking because your why is so anchored in that it's, you know, must do, can't miss. So yeah, I hope that answered the question. What is that for you? About. What is your what is your why? What is that for you? And how has that evolved over time? Yeah, so that, that's a great that's, point. So today it's the family, right? right. Today it's, it's experiences providing, you know, I'm 43 years old. Fuck, it gets old. It's hard saying that. Like 40 is much easier to say. 43 years old. I got another kid on the way, you know, like, so for me, it's providing and, and having, you know, being obviously healthy. I train a little bit and work, work out, but it's just having wonderful and great experiences. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, going to Europe, right? It could just be, you know, you know, going and taking the kids to Malibu Jacks and playing, you know, it just, just having that, that time. And that's what for me, entrepreneurship has been able to provide is, I take my kids to school, right? In the mornings, I pick them up. Like I, I don't, I, I've got a nanny as well. I don't need to do any of that, but I fucking want to do it. Mm-hmm. I want to hear how the first day of school is. So for me, the resources and the utility of, of money has been able to provide that freedom and, and flexibility. So I think that's, that's my core, core why. And, you know, just try to make, you know, a bit of a positive impact, right? I mean, I've, I've had ups and downs and, you know, I've got some battle scars. So, you know, I think sharing that and being, you know, it took me a lot to become vulnerable. And I, and I talk a lot about the personal side in, in the book, but to be able to really open up and, and, and be vulnerable, it's scary as fuck. But once you get comfortable doing it, life's so much better. It really is. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I'm going to take it complete left turn, a little bit more of a, a fun string of questions probably won't expect this, but I, you know, we did a little creeping on your website and just even just kind of scrolling through your Instagram briefly. One thing I noticed is you're a watch guy. So yes. just three direct questions. First watch, favorite watch in your collection right now, and then your dream watch or a watch that you would, that you're chasing or waiting for or whatever. Yep. First watch was a Breitling Mont Brilliant, uh, big, I think 45 millimeter face. I mean, big, cool face. Fucking favorite watch. That's a tough one. Probably the Alligator Blue Royal Oak AP. Also, there's a, I've got a, just got a, just a regular date just on today. But before I made any money, I would go into jewelry stores when actual jewelry stores had watches. You can't fucking get them anymore. But when 
and I would look at the Rolex Submariner, two-tone blue and gold or silver and gold, and just coveted that watch. And I ended up in Macau on a business trip, um, going on a heater at the crap table and won that won the money to buy that watch. So that watch is kind of very special to me. And the fucking watch that I want is that it's, I'm just a big pussy. Um, cause I'm a, it's, I, I, cause I've, 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 I've flirted with buying it like seven times and I haven't pulled the trigger. It's an M11 Lamont. So Richard Mill, RM11 Lamont's edition. I'm, a, I'm also a car guy. So it's titanium, baby blue strap. And it's got a little Lamont uh, piece on it. It's a, uh, Super cool. And my watch guy in New York is always giving me great advice. I had that watch in my sights for 180 grand, which is a lot of money. But like he, and it was like a list, it's like a hundred and when his, because it came out in 2013. It's only 50 of these ever made. And it's like a $125,000 watch. And he's like, you know, he's on 47th Street, Diamond District. So you can get the, the typical demographic. Like, Jeremy, I'm not going to let you do it. You know, you're wasting your money. It's up because these rappers are spending about it. It's not worth it, whatever. I'm like, he's always guided me well. He tells me, and I've, I've always made money on my watches. If I sell them, I'm like, okay, sounds good, Hank. And now the watches, it's went up to 325. Yeah. <laughs> it's at, now it's at 270. It's been down to like 220 and I didn't fucking do it. So yeah, so it's hard. So I've, it's been all over the place because I didn't buy it then. I will never get it for 170 grand. And that's what I'm still struggling with of just fucking pulling the goddamn trigger. But I will have it and I'll tell you when I do and I'll, I'll come back to so, it. I need, a, I need a milestone to be able to just like winning the watch off the of proteins of Macau. Watches are a story. They're art. I'm a big art guy as well. But I like having that emotional connection. And when I get this watch, it'll be the biggest conversation. It'll be an hour conversation of the fucking trials and tribulations of me just looking at it being a fucking pussy for nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, everything that you just said <laughs> advice-wise in this podcast is negated because you won't buy it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm full of shit. Exactly, I'm full of shit. No, so it's good. so bad, bro. It's so bad. <laughs> this is great, man. That's that's what an awesome. awesome interview. What yeah, an awesome thank interview. thank you so much, man. It's it's been a pleasure to to get to know you. I mean, definitely want to connect offline as well. How can our listeners follow you? I tried to follow you on Instagram, and there's 37 accounts of the same Jeremy Delk. <laughs> yeah, I just get. I mean, I don't know. I'm not that cool to be impersonated. I don't understand like the <laughs> website thing and whatever. But yeah, so it's Jeremy S Delk. I'm Jeremy S Delk okay. on all socials. I'm so S is Stephen. The one with the most followers out of all the profiles. There you go. Hey, Jeremy, there you go. I won't urge you to to spend the money on the watch, but I will urge you to spend the 15 bucks a month to get verified on, on Instagram. No, so you know what? Like, I, it's it's weird because like I, I yeah I know, but until like you actually, I, I just feel like paying for verification is still. I, I just don't. I don't know. I so I, I should do it, but to me, I, I didn't want to get on social media forever. My my team made me do it. But like, it's just like kind of being in a fraternity to, to pay for, for, I just, I just like, if I, if, if they verified me, I would have, I would have done it, but now they've gotten rid of that. So eventually I'm going to have to, but yes, I know. <laughs> it's another thing, you know, quarter million dollar watches and 15 bucks a month. I'm a fucking, yeah, two, two wild. <laughs> <all> <laughs> awesome, man. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on, man. We'll definitely have to run it back at some point. Yeah, man. Sounds good. Appreciate it guys.